Hey, good morning, everybody. Hey, isn't it good to know that the worship of Jesus Christ is in good hands with young people at Crown College? Isn't that good to know? Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Get up, give it up for these two scrapping lads who... You know, uh, one time, one time I preached at a church, and they had to bring the pulpit up, you know, do this kind of podium thing, and they brought, this is a true story, they brought it up, and they set it here facing this direction. I'm like, how do I interpret that? They don't want to see my face, they only want to be, I only want to be heard, right? Is that the idea? We want to hear you, Bill, but, eh. Anyway, it's all right. It's good to be back here. Um... Last week, the last couple weeks, my throat has been sore, and uh, some of you asked me about that. And uh, on Monday, I was diagnosed with pneumonia, bronchitis, and a double ear infection. So, I mean, I'm just pouring it on. And uh, so that was glorious, and then I was out of town most of the week, and uh, so that was great, and it's just great to, to be back here with you, and great to worship with these young students, and uh, they, let me, they let me on the team, that's great. The, the old guy on the team there, you know. I don't know if you could tell, but I was the guitar player in the back. You might not be able to tell the age difference, but I was in the back. <laughs> the Vikings don't play till later, I got all day. Go for it. Go for it, thank you. Thank you, amen, you can sit in front. Need people like that, that's good. Well, let's uh, turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to look at the church in Thyatira. It's the longest of the letters of the seven, to the seven churches as we continue to explore these letters from Jesus to the churches. And what does Jesus want to say to the churches? And remember, I pointed this out, that at the end of each of these letters it says... He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. These are letters for churches, not just for Thyatira, but for us today. And with that in mind, we believe God wants to say something through this letter to us, his people. And so to that end, let us pray as we begin. Lord, we come in the strong and powerful name of Jesus before you. Were it not for Jesus, we would not be able to do that. We acknowledge, Father, that you are indeed our living hope. That we are privileged people who get to worship the maker of the universe. And it is our joy and our privilege now to listen to your word. I pray that there might be something in what is said for each person in the room today. Lord, I want to believe that your spirit is speaking in these moments powerfully to your people. So God, would you allow what is said that is meaningful and eternal and personal, let it reach every heart. What is said that is not, uh, Lord, I pray that you would wipe that from our memories, skip over that, so that what we do leave with is words from you. God, we commit our moments to you with the intention of hearing. In your name, amen. On Friday, March the 11th, 2011, 
a magnitude 9.0 underseas, undersea megathrust earthquake occurred. 20 miles below the surface of the water, two tectonic plates adjusted in a swift moment. If you were in a boat just above where those plates adjusted, you'd barely noticed. But 43 miles east of Japan, that little movement of tectonic plates began to displace water in what is now known as the Great East Japan Earthquake. It is one of the most powerful quakes to hit the world since modern record-keeping in 1900. The seismic shift produced a tsunami wave of over 130 feet high. It crashed against the way uh, the shores of Japan, killing nearly 20,000 people. What we didn't know at the time is as a result of those waves crashing, crashing against the shore, it, it loosed and released items into the sea. And as these items floated across the ocean, unbeknownst to many, suddenly one day there's a ship out in the middle of the ocean and they start to see these items. And they're wondering what they are and as they approach they discover it's televisions and appliances and boots from Japan. Several years later, in 2014-15, those items littered the beaches of the west coast of the United States. Probably no one considered that that little shift of rock beneath the ocean would lead to a wave on the crash of a shore that would lead to the release of items that years later would show up on someone else's shore. What we have before us in the letter to the church of Thyatira is a group of Christians that I think they believed that their stuff could be down below the surface of life and others could not see it. Others would not know about it. And it would not matter. Except it did. Today we want to talk about the debris from the choices we make in life. Let me introduce you to Thyatira. We're going to get in our tour bus. We're going to travel 40 miles over to Thyatira. We'll show you that map. <coughs> and what I want you to see from this map is, notice where Thyatira is, kind of in the middle of Asia Minor. It's not really near the other cities. It's just kind of out there in open space. This became a problem for Thyatira. Next slide. Here are the plains around Thyatira. The city, unlike some of the cities we've seen, this city is not built on a shoreline where it has a harbor to protect it on one side. It's not built up on a hill like we saw last week in the Acropolis at Pergamum. It was defensible. And so because of that, the city was always at threat. And Pergamum, the city ca or the uh, region capital, decided to station troops out at Thyatira to protect from any western moving army. Next slide. 
These are some of the ruins. There's not much left of Thyatira. Thyatira was the smallest of all the seven churches. Had a population around 25,000 people at the time of the writing that we're, we're looking at. So there's not much there, to be honest. Next slide. What is there, and what we do find in this little insignificant city, is that the city had a patron god who was the son of Zeus. His name was Tyremnos, and Tyremnos was the patron god of Thyatira. And it was believed that this son of Zeus traveled by horseback with an axe, and in the images of this son of Zeus, he had like lightning and fire coming off of him, and he had this brass axe that he carried around. So if you look at the coins from that day, on one side you see the son of Zeus. There's his uh, face. On the other side, do you see the axe on the coin up at the top in the center? And then if you look off to the far right, lower right corner, you see uh, Tyremnos on his horseback riding around protecting the city of Thyatira. This was the image of that city. This was the patron god of the city. Now, in addition to this city, or this uh, patron god, what Thyra had did that was unique to all the other cities is in this small community, Thyatira had gods for all of the trade guilds within the city. Here's how this worked. Let's say you were a baker in the city. You would have a, a patron god f- for all of those who were bakers in the city. And you would get together annually, and you had a belief that complementary opposites were necessary to reach this God. Let me see if I can explain this. In order to connect with this God, in order to get the attention of the God, there needed to be a coming together of the male and the female. Complementary opposites. And so, once a year... These trade guilds would have these elaborate feasts in honor of their God. And they would invite all of those people within that trade guild to a location, and they would have this elaborate feast. And they would sacrifice to their God. And they would eat and celebrate this God. And at the close of the day, they would have complementary opposites, male and a female, come together publicly. Are you following me? And if you were not at that ceremony, you could not work in that city. So, as Christians, it became a struggle. What do we do during the times of the festivals? Okay? You follow so far? And there were all kinds of these Trade guilds, coppersmiths, bakers, wool workers, tanners, potters. Much of what uh, the city was known for was dyeing wool. Uh, Lydia, who was selling wool in Philippi when Paul led her to Christ, Lydia was from Thyatira. If you read that story, they were also famous for bronze. So the bronze, you know, axe, things like that. That's what the city was most known for. It was said that the city 
is the least significant, least known, least remarkable of all the cities in Asia Minor. Next slide. This is the patron god of the city, the son of Zeus, who would ride around on his horse with his bronze axe, and he would protect the city with lightning flying off of him and so forth. This is our city, Thyatira. What does Jesus have to say to this city? Now let's go to the text. Let's go to the text. How about the relevant identification? How does Jesus identify himself to this group of people? The book of Revelation, chapter 2, now in verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write these words. Here we are. These are the words of whom? Who's the patron saint, patron, patron God of Thyatira? The son of Zeus. Ah, Jesus right out of the gate confronts all of the cultural significance of that city and says, I want you to know I am in fact the son of the most high God. I've got something to say to you. He continues, whose eyes are like what? Blazing fire. What is coming out of Jesus? Fire. What's the image of their patron God? Lightning and fire coming up. And whose feet are like what? Burnished bronze. The image of the burnished bronze feet is that Jesus has the authority to judge, to stamp out evil. So put it all together. He is the Son of God. There's no one higher than Him. He has the ultimate authority to make judgments. He has eyes that see everything that takes place. Nothing is missed by him. And he has the power, the bronze burnished feet, in order to execute the judgment of what he sees. So Jesus confronts them right away with very significant, relevant identification. Is it not... Disturbing or comforting to know that for those who like darkness, there is never, ever, ever a moment in our lives when no one is watching. Wow. His eyes always see. Let me say it again. There is never a moment in our lives where no one is watching. And so Jesus, he sees. And now verse 19, notice his commendation. This is what he sees. I know your deeds, your love, and your faith, your service and perseverance. Man, that's quite a list, isn't it? And that you're now doing more than you did at first. <coughs> I know that you love. I know that you have faith in me. I know that you serve. I know that you persevere. I know your deeds. Let it in. Now listen, we like to think in terms of black and white, right? 
that, that the church is either all great or all bad. But notice now that Jesus, who's going to have some very harsh words for this church, also sees the good. And he commends them for that. Jesus is aware that even in our lives, there is sometimes a very strong mixture of pure and impure. And Jesus is willing to commend the pure even while he corrects the impure. And so we've got ourselves the love church. (laughs) That will matter more as we continue in the text, but it's the love church. Everyone... They love everything. Everyone's welcome. Don't turn anybody away. This is kind of the opposite of the Ephesian church. If you remember a few weeks ago, the Ephesian church had discernment, but had lost her first love. Here in Thyatira, we have the opposite. She has love, but she has lost her discernment. And both are necessary for a vibrant, God-honoring relationship with Jesus. Love and discernment. Here's the correction. This is the longest letter that Jesus addresses to a church. The longest letter to the least significant church. Verse 20, this correction. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. So I'll cast her on a bed of suffering. I'll make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and will repay each of you according to your deeds. Let's just stop there for a moment. Let's go back up now to verse 20. I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel. We saw a little bit about the, the life of Balaam in the last church. And like I said last week, this is not literally Jezebel who, was, who lived 800 years before Jesus. She didn't survive. That's not what we're talking about here. This is probably a term of disdain that Jesus is using in reference to something taking place in the church. So what's going on with this Jezebel who's doing this teaching in that congregation? Well, some have suggested that Jezebel may actually be the pastor's wife. There's no no indication of that in the text. So I kind of have to throw that. It may be true. I'm just saying the text doesn't indicate it. That's all I'm saying. Some have suggested that it might be a band of prophetesses who, who kind of move around and now have gotten the nickname of Jezebel. I, I, I don't know. It doesn't say that. There are some things that we do know. That Jesus references Jezebel here. We know something about Jezebel. If you go back in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 16, you, you hear the story of Jezebel begins there. And we know that Jezebel is the daughter of Ethbaal, who's the king of the Sidonians. Ethbaal, his name means a priest of Baal. And what the king of Sidonians, Ethbaal, what he did is he married, he married his daughter Jezebel to Ahab, the king of the northern tribes, Israel. The northern tribes of Israel. And so what happened was there was this 
political alliance that took place between Ethbaal and Ahab the king. Jezebel now moves in with Ahab, her new husband. And what does she bring with her? She brings with her the worship of Baal. So let me tell you about Baal. To understand this, you have to understand Baal. Here's what Baal was. Baal was the sun god who hibernated in the winter, underground. That's why we have winter. And he would rise again in the spring to have complementary opposite relationships with Ashtoreth, the female goddess. So spring happened, life was renewed because of their intimacy in the spring between Baal and Ashtoreth. So what's happening is Jezebel comes down and she brings with her the worship of Baal down to the people of God. And she says something like this. Listen, you don't have to stop worshiping Jehovah. That's fine. Go ahead and worship Jehovah, but add to the worship of Jehovah the worship of Baal. Now, what was the significance of Baal? The sun god who came out in the spring and what did he do? He had intimacy with another goddess. And so the worship of Baal worked like this. His priest in their temple would mutilate their bodies to get his attention, and they would have elaborate ceremonies of intimacy in public with people chanting and so forth. <coughs> Here's what it meant. People who worshipped Baal in that system used money and power to procure sex and used sex to procure money and power. Some, one theologian said, if we won't worship the Creator, we will worship our ability to create. And what the worship of Baal was an elaborate Ceremony of intimacy in public, worshiping our ability to create. And using that to get money and power. Now, translate all of that to Thyatira. What do we have going on? Here's Jezebel. What is her teaching? By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality. Listen. It's okay. Worship Jesus. Do your Jesus kind of thing. But when those trade guilds have their festivals, just like the worship of Baal 800 years before Jesus, it's okay to bring together complementary opposites, the male and the female, and it's okay for you Christians to participate in it. That's our teaching. And the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Why not? It's a feast. What is her teaching? Christian, it's okay for you to play in the world's playground. God doesn't matter. It doesn't care about that. God doesn't care that you spend yourself eating meats, food, sacrifice to idols, or participating in that intimate act that's taking place publicly with the chanting people spurring you on. It's okay. It's okay to do that. Continues in verse 21, I have given her time to repent of her morality, but she's unwilling. She's unwilling to repent. 
Let's just say a couple things here. We live in a culture where sexual immorality is passe. If intimacy is consensual, it's okay. You follow me? As long as two partners agree, it's fine. We live in what is called the hookup culture. We talk about friends with benefits. It's not wrong unless a couple goes all the way. I've heard that. And for years, the church has been just uncertain how to address it. And what it ends up is we end up with a lot of no's. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. So I'm going to say it positively. I want everybody in the room to hear this. The God of this book is thoroughly pro-sex in marriage. I like to think of it like a trampoline. A trampoline is a lot of fun. In order to have the most fun on a trampoline, you need two safety things, right? You need a net and you need some pads. God who created this activity, he knows the most about it. He knows what will heighten the pleasure around it. He knows what works. And so he provided two protectors in order to enjoy this intimacy. Number one, protector number one, heterosexuality. And number two, monogamy. One man, one woman. One person said it this way. This is, I don't want you guys to miss your opportunity for an amen. So I'm letting you know in advance. I don't want this to skirt by you, okay? This is, here's a quote. Sex is God's idea, and second to salvation, it's the best idea he ever had. But we've perverted it, friends. We've removed the net and the pads. I'm not going to land on this long because I don't need to. You're bright people. Today, the National Football League will have a series of games. And I looked up the numbers. The latest numbers I could get were 2016. The National Football League makes about $14 billion a year. That's the industry. $14 billion a year. Hollywood makes 600 movies a year, totaling about $10 billion a year. The pornographic industry makes $97 billion a year. More than professional football, baseball, Basketball and hockey combined. Jezebel was saying to the people, it's okay. You can love Jesus and do all those things and add to that these other behaviors and Jesus won't care. And I'm here today as a messenger from Jehovah to tell you that there is a movement underneath the surface and it's going to crash on someone's shore. And there's going to debris, be debris released. And years later, we're going to find it. Are you following my connection? 
So what does Jesus say about her? So I'll cast her on, verse 22, I will cast her, Jezebel, on a bed of suffering. Notice the language, on a bed, that's intentional, of suffering. Let me see if I can say it this way. Jesus is saying to Jezebel, and he's saying to us today, this very simple truth, what you think is giving you life and pleasure will eventually kill you. What you think that Jesus doesn't see, he sees. And what we think is a source of pleasure and Jesus doesn't care about that, that is wrong. He does see it and it will crash upon our shore someday. What you think is bringing you satisfaction is not. It's a bed of suffering. And I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely. You know what? Wait, I, this is pleasurable. This is pleasurable. What do you mean? You're going to suffer intensely. I will strike, verse 21, or 23, I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know. I'm not doing this just because I'm mean. But all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds. I do have eyes like blazing fire, and I do see. All those festivals that you're taking place in Thyatira, in their trade guilds, all of those secret ceremonies where you think that because of complementary opposites that somehow you're going to get some secret knowledge of God. It was believed in that day <coughs> that during the moment of intimacy, the mind went totally blank and you could see God in that moment. And I, Jesus said, I know all that. I know the hearts and the minds. Now look at verse 24. Now I say to the rest of you, that is those who are not participating, I, want to, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching. Notice that it is her teaching that is leading astray. And have not learned the so, Satan's so-called deep secrets. See that line? That's a play there on words again. Right? The deep secrets that you learn only in intimacy in that moment when your mind goes blank and you have this heightened sense of ecstasy and you get close to God. Jesus said that, that's Satan's deep secrets. He says, I will not impose anything, any other burden on you. Man, it's hard enough already, Jesus is saying. Only hold on to what I have until I come. Don't give up and fight the good fight. When everybody else is going astray, when Jezebel is spewing out her deceptive teaching, telling you that you can worship Jehovah and add something to that in those moments, please don't do that. Hold to my teaching, to what I have taught you until I come. And now the promise for the overcomers, verse 26, to him who overcomes and does my will to the end, persevere, right? I will give authority over the nations. Now notice this line. He will rule them with an iron scepter. What is the patron God doing? The patron God of Thyatira. He's running around with his axe, right? And Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to flip that on his head. That whole scenario, I'm going to flip it around. And those who overcome are going to rule with an iron scepter. He's quoting now 
from Psalm 2. He'll rule with an iron scepter and he will dash them to pieces like pottery. Right? You remember that image of the patron god, right? Walking on the horse, going around, right? Jesus is like, no, 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 that's not what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. When you overcome, you're going to be the one ruling with the iron scepter. You're going to be the one dashing people to pieces. Just as I have received authority, he continues, from my thought, Father, I'm giving you authority. Now, verse 28, I will give him the morning star. It's kind of an obscure reference. Could date back to Numbers 24, a prophecy that a star will rise out of Jacob and will destroy the enemies of God. That could be the reference there. Could be Revelation chapter 22 where Jesus names himself as the bright morning star. And in saying this in chapter 2, I will give myself to you. I am the morning star and I give myself to you. The intimacy that you want and are seeking from me in these intimate moments, in these secret ceremonies, that intimacy that you want, you'll get it because I'm the morning star and I'm going to give myself to you if you hold to my teaching, if you overcome. And then he closes with the line, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Friends, I fear that sometimes we are forfeiting our intimacy with the lover of our souls for a lesser love, which is no love at all. We all know how this works. It's a slow fade little compromise by little compromise, micro steps away from God. Think, well, you know what? We'll keep it hidden. It'll be below the surface. No one will know. I'm good at hiding this stuff. But the debris is floating, and it's floating to the shoreline, and someday it'll wash up, and we will be exposed. There is a crash coming. And what's the answer for that? The answer is to repent. That's from the text. The answer is to repent. The answer is to come to God. This is, this is Acts chapter 3, verse 19. It's to repent and turn to God that times of refreshment might come to your souls. Isn't that beautiful? You want refreshment? Then all that debris, all that stuff under the surface needs to come out. No shame, because there's no condemnation in, for those in Christ Jesus. There's no shame. There's repentance. And the old concept of repentance in the Old Testament simply meant to return home. Walked away from the safety and the intimacy of relationship with Jesus in the home. You've walked out and you've wandered into the field. And Jesus says, repent. Realize that you're far away. You've moved away. Those micro steps have taken you miles from Jesus. Turn and come home. Let's pray. <coughs> I'm going to invite James to come up to the keyboard. We've got a little bit of time and did this on purpose for us. Here's what I want, to, I want us to do. Just something a little different. I'm going to give you a moment, a quiet moment. Here's the prayer I want you to pray to God. 
I want you to pray, God, make me aware of the voice of the Holy Spirit. Make me aware of the voice of the Holy Spirit to me. So I'm going to give you just a quiet moment and just pray that prayer quietly to the Lord and sit silently for a moment. Spirit, graciously speak to your people. And so now, in, again, in a, in a posture of prayer, you've asked the Spirit to speak. Here's what I want you to do. Ask the Spirit to reveal to you if there's anything under the surface for which you need to repent. Is there stuff underneath that you've kept hidden? No one knows it. But Jesus knows it. His blazing eyes of fire, they see it. You're not escaping. We're not escaping Jesus here. So ask God, be humble. Say, God, would you please, by your spirit, tell me what is underneath the surface. If I need to repent, would you show me that right now? Would you pray that simple prayer? Ask him to reveal that to you. as we close I'm going to invite the prayer team to come up front if you would just make if you're on the prayer team would you just make your way up front just come on up right now and I'm just going to invite us to just do some business with God this morning there's lots of ways you can do that you can do that sitting in your seat talking to the Lord but there is something about gathering where there's two or three James in chapter 5 says that we are to confess our sins one to another. We've already talked about repentance and the refreshment that comes to our souls when we do that. So we've asked the, the Spirit to speak. We've asked Him to reveal. Now it's in our court to be courageous and to respond. So we're going to take a few moments as we just close our service. If you need to go, I want to encourage you just to quietly slip out of the room. Go where you need to go. But why, why leave if we need to do business with God? If God has spoken to you today, if there's something underneath the surface, know that a time is coming when it'll wash up on shore. So I'm going to invite you, if you'd like, while the music continues, just slip out of your seat. Come on up here. Someone will pray for you. We love you. There's no shame here. Just come on up as soon as you're ready. Have someone pray for you. We're going to give you a few moments to do that. Just pray a prayer of confession to God.
Feel free to come. stand with me. Let's just have everybody stand in the room. <coughs> Prayer team is going to stay up here. If you want to spend some extra time with the Lord at your seat before you exit, that would be a good idea. We've been asking God to speak to us through this series. I believe he is speaking to some of us today. So again, we're going to take a moment. You can come forward, have someone pray for you. But I'm going, to, I'm going to have a prayer and then dismiss us. After I dismiss us, if you need to come forward to pray, if you need to sit in your seat a little longer, please do that. Let me pray for us. God, here's what I know. That the call to repentance is a gracious call. It means we deserve justice, but you've given us a second chance to come to you. So God, thank you for the second chance today. And I pray that you would convict us deeply. If there's stuff under the surface that we think we're going to hide from everybody, God, it's not hidden from you. So would you put a finger on that for anybody in this room that needs it? Let us be courageous people who come and confess and repent and turn away and turn toward God. Repent and turn to God. And we do both. Repent and turn to God. May we settle these matters today before we exit this room. So we commit this congregation to you. Do a deep and cleansing work in us that we might walk in newness of life and bless us. May we have the wisdom to say no the things that are not of you. This week, give us strength to do that. May we hold on, as the text says, hold on to the end. And may you give yourself to us as we do that. Thank you, Jesus, for your God who comes to us. Even with your blazing eyes, you are kind and gracious to us. It's your kindness that leads to repentance. We thank you, Lord. So bless us as we go from here, as we continue doing business with you. In the mighty and wonderful name of Christ our Savior, sanctifier, healer, and coming King. Amen and amen. You are free to leave, but feel free to stay as well or to come forward. God bless you.